want to welcome everyone to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today joining us is Christopher Park, who's the Director of Pricing, Yield, and Revenue Analytics at Twitch. Let's jump in and get to know Christopher. Christopher, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Eric. How's it going? Hey, not too bad. I think most people know you as Chris Park, but we'll go by Christopher for now. You can call me the name I get yelled at from my parents, no problem. Uh, Christopher, <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> Chris, I, I actually want to ask you about your parents here in, in, in just a little bit. But for our audience who may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about Chris Park, where you grew up, where you're from, and then tell us a little bit about your parents? Sure. So I was born and raised in the U.S., originally grew up in the Bronx for about seven years or so, then transplanted over Rockland County, where I stayed there from that age until, I think, early college. And then from them, I've been doing the Bergen County Jersey Shuffle just to find a place to live while I have you know, established a family, kids and such. And now I'm a permanent Bergen County resident within New Jersey until the foreseeable future, of course. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. My parents are uh, both Korean natives that uh, moved over here. Interesting story about them is they came over here with like less than a couple thousand dollars in their pockets and have managed to kind of have a living over here. When they first got here, I forget what mom did for work, but she didn't work for too long. Apparently having two boys is a lot of work. But my dad had a couple jobs, saved up a ton of money, or saved up money to kind of open up his own jewelry store, which he owned until about a decade and change ago. And now he, they do odd jobs, like he helps fix things and they do real estate. And weirdly enough, my dad's a councilman now. I don't know how that happened, but uh, that's something that's of a recent um, spin of things. But yeah, that's kind of the quick and dirty of my family, the origins, where we're from, like natively and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. Tell us a little bit about how you think that impacted who you are today. Everything that you just you just mentioned. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of work there, a lot of sort of adaptability. You know, what, how how did that sort of impact who you are today? It's so interesting. I think about this a lot, especially kind of during the pandemic era, because uh, everything's so unsure now, right? Like you don't know what ten years are going to look like. You don't know five. You don't. I mean, who knows what two years is going to bring at this point, right? But I think a lot of what it's kind of like instilled in me is, uh, so like Koreans by nature have like this thing that people call Han. And Han is like this feeling of always feeling you're going to be conquered. Because if you think of, if you bring back culturally through, through the generations, Koreans have been conquered by, you know, have invaded by China, have invaded by Japan, every which way inside. It's just like the nature of being a small peninsula. You just get attacked from every which way, right? So you get this feeling of always being under pressure. And that kind of like defines a lot of that way I see like Koreans operate in general, which is always like push and push and push and push until you don't have any more to push. Right. So that definitely helps define me in terms of like culturally, because I definitely work to the point of, for lack of words, you know, I, I push till I feel like I can't push any harder. And I don't mean that to like brag per se or anything. That's just kind of how I work. But well, my parents also kind of do the same. They work really hard. You know, they make sure they're always providing. And I always think about kind of what I was telling you about earlier, which is really ties in, which is like, 
who in their right mind would go anywhere with even whatever the value of money is with that level of money to go think that you can make it right like that to me mm. is like such an insane thought like i can barely imagine my bank account with that much money in general let alone like going to start anew somewhere regardless of the economic situation when they were coming here just to take that leap of faith, get on a plane, get a green card and just be like, okay, I'm here. I need an apartment, a job and whatever. And just like kind yeah. of doing the thing. So I think the latter of that helps drive me a lot, right? Because growing up I actually took a lot for granted on mm-hmm. what I was handed. But now thinking through it after having my own family and such, you know, I think about how like easy, not easy it was for them. Language barrier, all those kind of things. And like, I kind of like really take it in and I figure, you know, I'm really lucky so that they were able to cross that bridge to enable me to do what I'm doing now. And that really resonates a lot with me now when I kind of like watch my kids and see how fortunate they are mm-hmm. from kind of the downturn of everything. And I always kind of joke with them. I'm like, oh, must be nice just sitting there like laughing and watching TV. Like, you know, dad's just downstairs working, but you know, you're getting to watch TV right now. Obviously joking. <laughs> right. Um, but that all wouldn't have happened first without my parents making the move. Not to say that my family necessarily struggles too hard in, in like Korea per se, but uh, I think they have a better life than they would have had, uh, should they stay. So all in all, that's like the really full kind of process of like how I think do things right now. But, uh, that was a lot of words, but. Maybe it's too descriptive, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated, you know, about how um, you're sort of passing those things on, you know, to your family. And it seems like, you know, from a lot of the guests we've talked to, you know, you can see some of the things that, that we learn pass on from generation to generation. You may not think you're sort of passing it on because it doesn't feel like it when you're doing it in that moment, right? But it's it's certainly happening, you know? I'm curious, Chris, about how you got started on your on your career path. You've worked at some tremendous companies and you, you, you've got a, a great body of work there and you're working at a great company now. Can you tell us a little bit about Twitch? What is Twitch and, and, and sort of what, what are you doing there these days? Uh, sure. So Twitch, what is it? I mean, it generally started off with, to my understanding, this guy, Justin, just walking around the camera and filming everything and everything. And then suddenly evolved into where he found the home where he was more into the live gaming esports esports realm and kind of enabling people to just film people as they're they're literally playing games, right? What I've realized after joining and having done some homework to join, like every time you know you join a company, I I, I always like tell myself I should go learn what I'm about to go become involved with, right? So as I'm doing homework, I didn't realize what it was, and then it resonated with me like a lot of things I read, which is. Esports, watching people play esports is like watching NBA players play basketball, right? It's like if you ever play a first person shooter game or uh, any RPG or whatever it is, you just see these guys play and they play at an extraordinarily high level. Mm-hmm. They're getting headshots when you get body shot. They're shooting mm-hmm. you and you're the one on the other side that shoots like, how did he hit me like that? I was so far away, <laughs> right? There's all these things on the other side component that you never get to watch unless you happen to be on the same team and you happen to die first and you watch them. And so there's this moment of understanding that you're watching these pro gamers that are just extraordinarily talented at these, these games. Mm-hmm. And I, I dive into the description of this because I don't think a lot of people understand what why people watch esports. So I'm just kind of diving into that. But mainly we're, you know, live yeah. streaming platform, very heavy on the esports. We do have other kind of partnerships with live concerts and things of that nature, but it's all generally live. 
And yeah, we just bring that experience to you and your desktop, your living room, wherever you may be sitting, right? So what do I do over at Twitch? Uh, so I run uh, three teams over at Twitch. I run pricing and yield team, which does everything related to pricing and yield from a direct perspective. I won't dive into too much, but I think anybody in the industry generally knows what that's about. Uh, I run, just started up a programmatic operations team, which just your typical programmatic operations, the flooring, blocking, all that kind of stuff um, within the open exchanges and the reporting systems. And the last team would be revenue analytics, which is basically enabling our reporting capabilities internally to provide accuracy and insights from a revenue lens. A lot mm-hmm. of companies, even though you're a publisher, are very focused on user behavior, right? Like, here's a depth perception, here's our drop-off, here's, mm-hmm. you know, how many people visited past five minutes and user sessions. But I feel like I, I wanted to create a new team that kind of specifically looked at the opposite side of that, which is like, how are the lights staying on? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then to like be, get more keen on that. And not that the company wasn't good, I just wanted to create a practice around that. So I was fortunate enough to have that team under me as well. So those are three different practices. In short, you can kind of call it like revenue operations and analytics, but I know that a lot of people kind of use that title. I don't know. I think that's appropriate, but yeah. Yet I still carry the pricing yield and revenue analytics tag on LinkedIn. So we'll, we'll, we'll live by that one right now. That's everything. Nice. Chris, as Eric said uh, a few minutes ago, you, you've been at some, some great companies throughout your career. Time Inc., New York Times, Cheddar, and now Twitch, and all sort of in that, I'll use your words, that revenue operations realm. What do you love about sort of RevOps that keeps you going in, in, in that space? So the reason why I like really ended up liking revenue operations was if you get really good at kind of what you do, you're able to uncover insights that actually help the company create more money like more revenue top line, right? It's just, just, well, it wouldn't always be top line, but it, it's either top and use cutting costs, whatever it is. But it's, it's kind of nice when you know that what you do drives that without having to sell anything, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, It's just basically nerding out behind spreadsheets and tying in the different, the comments that you hear from people within the company and then being like, oh, that comment that person made, I wonder if we're looking into that or are we optimizing that fashion that that random seller said some comment about their their vertical? Are we looking into all these things that tie in to make this revenue story? And being able to kind of be on the front lines and to literally nerd out through all that kind of stuff and then to be able to link that together while also making sure that you know everyone else is able to do their own jobs as well. I know it's very high level terminology I'm using, but that's what kind of gets me up in the morning. And the other thing is like, when you're able to do things like that, right? Especially within Twitch, like the whole purpose is we help creators slash streamers make their living from streaming, right? Like we enable mm-hmm. these people to do what they love to do. Uh, and I had a really like a moment a couple of weeks ago when I was thinking, you know, everyone you think about it every now and again, like, what do I do at the company? And I was like, oh, I enable these people who are passionate about gaming. I want to do that for a living. To have a stage to do that, it's like it's as if you know you worked at a stadium and you were helping operations of the stadium of some NBA team that you like. That's the way that I figure of myself within the larger scheme of things. And when I think of it in that way, it really like kind of helps uh, round out that entire story. And it's kind of the same with overall RevOps functions, right? RevOps, it's 
you know, when you work at a publisher that you truly enjoy and you'll enjoy the content that's coming out of it, you're facilitating that good content from coming out and making that efficient machine work better and better, right? And when you do that, it's, it's gratifying because, you know, whoever got you on board to, to help out with that role truly believes that you're able to help with that within the company. And it, it's kind of an honor to be in that seat, to be honest with you. And then for people to trust that you can do it. You know, that's the long short of kind of like, you know, why I fell into this and continue to stay here. Yeah. It's a lot of words again. I'm not yeah. one for being concise. So apologies about that. <laughs> All good. All good. That's, that's a part of the, the conversation and us, us getting to know each other. Curious to get your thoughts on sort of what excites you about the future of advertising technology, right? I'm, I'm sure you could sit here and, you know, from your time at Everyday Health all the way up until now, right? Look and think about how our industry has evolved over the years and curious to, to know what excites you about the next, you know, 12, 15 months or so. The one thing that I'm kind of always looking into is like, what's that next and greatest thing? Like, that's kind of the reason I transitioned into video, right? Because Display is a big business. Everyone's into it. Everyone's really good at it. And like video was kind of like the next thing that people are trying to get at, get good at. But in terms of video, it's like, can people truly start identifying like outside of the household who's sitting in front of that screen? Is that ever going to be possible? I won't name the players, but there's some interesting technologies to say at the least that can stare at the person on the screen that's looking at the TV and are they looking directly at the screen? Now that's taking it pretty far, but like, can you do that without doing that? But understand like how close is my phone to the wi-fi in the house that's close to the tv you never know like and everyone in the house generally has a phone but just i'm trying to understand like can you truly differentiate like when the kid is on his parents youtube and like watching youtube or can you understand if it's somebody else that seems like a near impossible thing by the technology that we have but i'm wondering to see if anybody can solve for that because that kind of leaves this very opaque question out there about like are you truly targeting who you're targeting right because all of us cookies, whatever you want to call it. It's taking the next best guess. But with kind of your your screen experience, it's it's outside of the actual TV experience. Everything should be generally one-to-one, right? Like you're in front of the desktop, you're in front of the iPad, you're in front of the... And when you're watching that video, you should be able to tie it. And because the nature of a lot of this app-based technology that we have now, it's all down to some level of ID, Right. I know the ideas are getting uh, obscured, but it's just interesting to watch that. In terms of like overall where the industry is headed, there's a lot of technology based on kind of like gaming that I'm watching. So it's like there's companies coming out there that are doing in-game marketing. So it's like you can pay to have the billboard within your favorite, you know, live game within the time period of like people like virtually in the game. And then from like a changing video to just thinking about like, you know, not to say the you know, topic of the year, but like through quarantine and COVID, you know, this is something that admittedly, if everyone's watching the news and like hearing about it, it's not something that we're eradicating anymore. It's something that we're learning to live with, probably need to learn to live with, but live smartly with. But if that's the case and people are more indoors than not, and again, I'm, I'm speculating based on stuff that's not, not true or false right now. It's just speculation. But that's going to force us to be more inside. So it's like AR, it's VR going to take off even further than what it is. And is that going to bring like a level, a parallel to what I was just talking about earlier with in-game marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are you going to be able to pay for 
uh, the way I was talking about this with a buddy of mine is like, you're walking down the, the VR street in New York where you go to your local pizza place, but there's four random stores that you never pay attention to, right? What's to stop somebody from taking over that store programmatically and putting their signage on there and to create an experience within that store? So you can be like, oh, that's an interesting store. I've never been in Chris's juice bar before. Maybe I should go in, right? So that's the kind of thing that I'm going to find. I find like it's an interesting thought because there's people who talk about this kind of thing, but I feel like kind of provided that next level and provided that we're going to be inside potentially more than not. And I, again, speculation. I think a lot of those spaces have a lot of room to grow and just be interesting to see given our backgrounds, like where that's take, where kind of, that kind of takes us from an experience level. Yeah. And I, I love that thought as long as that juice bar gets paid at the end of the day for that yeah. ad being placed. Right. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, you know, what's interesting is we are probably a few weeks away now from coming up on a year of all of us being home. Right. I would love to get your thoughts, Chris, on, work-life balance and what does that look like for you today? And obviously, whatever it looks like for you today is probably different than what it looked like 12 months ago. It's interesting you say that because this is something that I feel like all of us working at home think about a lot, right? Yeah. So like in terms of work-life balance, I think a lot of people say like, I feel like, you know, it's hard for me to put down the computer, right? Because it's like, it's so easy to pick it back up because and honestly, like, what are you going to do? Am I going to walk around the same block over and over again? Or like, am I going to go and pick up food again? Like it, it just, there's the diversity of the number of activities you can do is drastically decreases without being able to be live in front of people. So because of the fact that there's more time to do, I don't know, for me, like things I deem useless, which is like watch TV, even though I do it, right. Or like, I can't do it too much or like, I don't know, I can read a book, but like, it, I don't know, I'm not a book reader that much. So like, I'll get bored or whatever it is. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll pick up work again. So I do tend to do a lot more work right now. But the other thing is that because we are not you know, face-to-face, there's this element that you lose of like the iterations that you can get in the live environment that you don't get the efficiencies out of from being in person, right? I uh, happened to like be able to meet up with somebody like relatively in person. And like we were just like talking about just like concepts that we have like on the marketplace and stuff like that. And like the, the average conversation that we have, and I have like a monthly with them from like our over the phone experience, over the hangouts experience or zoom, as opposed to even in person, the, the in-person conversation just took up a lot quicker, just from basically being able to pick up on those physical cues and stuff like that. I couldn't define it, but I think because you can't do that in the office where it feels like us three, we're going to be like, Hey, Corel, quick question. What do you think about this? And you got to get down to that really deep answer you can't do over Slack. And also you don't want to set up a 15 minute block of time that you have to adjust from what you're doing to talk about something else. You can kind of do it really quick. Like not think about it and like it doesn't even distract your flow of what you're doing from mm-hmm. work. Uh, I feel like that also brings into effect less efficiency in time when you're, when you have a role like what I do where you have to deal with a lot of people and you have to interact with a lot of people to get to your answers. So for the nature of that, because those interactions become less efficient with kind of the digital world, I think that also kind of makes my daytime a little bit less efficient because I need to separate those times for those I need to chat with. And like the slack sliding up, the hangouts is like, I, I'm, I'm in meetings 95% of my day from like nine to six, right? Like outside of that, you know, you have an email box that's, that's, you know, got just emails coming in nonstop. So just holding back those three streams where like 
Slack can be a lot less if you're in person. Like even email mm. can be done where you can conclude in person and wrap up after, which is wrapping up in person and then writing down what you wrapped up to is I feel like a much better, much better stamp on the conversation as opposed to the latter, which is like, let's explain it over email and then like make sure that we all are on the same page, which generally tends to um, not work so well. There's, there's always one or two key things that are missed. So I think kind of based on those two things, that's kind of my experience with the whole work at home and work-life balance. But the one thing that I do anchor to that I lose touch with every now and again, but helps me tremendously. And, you know, I have kids and wife at home, so it doesn't matter to be for everybody, but I realized that like actually taking time and like hanging out with them and having lunch with them makes me much better, like human being, like both from a sanity perspective as well as under understanding kind of like anchoring myself to the real world where like interacting with them and seeing how bright they are. And like, even though they're like absolutely insane 90% of the times and screaming, it's just, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like all of us are in the work environment as much as I'm a heart of my sleeve and transparent person. Like I can't be the same person I am with them. And there's a level of honesty that's like really refreshing when I do that every now and again. So my wife will occasionally ping me and be like, yo dude, you seem like you're under the gun. Like, why don't you come up, take it easy, have lunch with us, like cancel that meeting and like, like get down to earth a little bit more. And then you can get set back and go, you know, do whatever you got to do at work. So yeah, that's kind of like the work life balance in a nutshell. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a weird ride. I'm not going to lie. After a year, finally getting to some point for sure. But yeah. Chris, you've worked a lot of great companies and I want to ask you, you talked about sort of your, your, your family earlier in the podcast, who are some folks in your life who, I want to just say mentor you, but who are some folks that helped you along the way? And who are some folks that you think about as you sort of think about your career and have helped you advance? Great question. So I've had a couple like lucky instances in my life. The one was, so even before I was in digital, I was in finance, right? And I was out interviewing and I thought I knew what I was doing. And I don't know, I clearly thought I was way too smart for my own good. And I had uh, one of my family members kind of kicked in one day and I was like, dude, I think I'm interviewing fine, but like, what's going on? And he's like, you know what? Come over. We'll kind of shoot the shit. And then I'll, I'll just cold interview you. And he gave me the most brutal feedback I've ever gotten in my lifetime where he was just like, listen, that was the worst. You don't have clear and succinct answers. You don't know the top 30 questions that I'm going to ask you, even the out of the box ones. You say every point till the end, you don't give people enough space to ask questions. Like he gave me all this feedback on how to interview. And the thing that I realized from that conversation was like, when you interview, it's not about exhausting what you think in your mind to impress people. It's about leaving enough space to have a conversation. And, you know, when you are nervous at that point, there's a certain level of, I'll be very honest, like there's a certain level of practice and training that you need to provide for yourself. And I Mm -hmm. think that was super valuable because otherwise you don't make that first impression that's truly who you are. And without practicing, you're you're really unable to kind of get there. And I I truly thankful for that because I would be nowhere without that because I would still be talking as if I was getting into like having this conversation with you guys, as opposed to having a job mm-hmm. interview, right? They're, they're awesome. not the same yeah. thing. And that should be clearly for the fine. And I pass this along to everybody I can, everybody that will even ask me, I'm like more than happy to coach them on this stuff. Cause it's, it's truly invaluable. It, it's, it's just something that everyone should understand. Some other things that like I think about frequently is I'm a really good buddy of mine. Back when I was like kind of in DSP world, DSPs, you have to work really hard 
when you're there, like, uh, not really hard, just like a little hard. Like when you're account managing and you're, you're, you got a ton of accounts to manage and you're kind of in the middle of the ecosystem. It wasn't my cup of tea. And he kind of helped me get to the polar opposite end. And that, that's actually where, how I ended up at Everyday Health, where he was like, dude, like, you don't have to deal with clients as much. Like you can run some, do some operational stuff. And I think you'll make a good fit for it. So he kind of helped me pivot. So I think about those kind of things. And I also had a buddy who kind of pulled me out of finance still to this day. I think it's a good move, but I never know, you know, if the grass is greener on the other side or not. But I'm going to believe that this side is better for sure. But he's the one who kind of connected me to get into Ghostery slash Evanon and kind of help me pivot into kind of where I am now. But every way along the way, I've been very fortunate where almost every job that I've gotten from even the Evanon to now, I've happened to know somebody that knew somebody that just thought that I would be a good fit for something because of something they heard from a coworker or something that they, so me reaching out and asking somebody like, Hey, is it, you think I'd make a good fit for this or whatever that is, but someone like taking a chance on me to allow me to mm-hmm. get these roles that I have. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have had the career um, that I've had so far. And I'm, I'm truly grateful yeah. for all those interactions and people like kind of trusting me with that. That's awesome. Chris, I, I want to ask you, you know, we talked a little bit about COVID-19 is unique times. You know, through COVID-19, there's been a lot of anti-Asian racism, xenophobia, a lot of really sort of ugly moments for Asian Americans and for Asians. I'm curious about your thoughts on, you know, sort of moments in discrimination like that. Have you been or do you know of folks in your family or, or friends where any of those sort of moments have happened? Yeah, so I know I have no friends who know of friends. So I don't know anybody directly that's been involved in those scenarios. But for me, man, it, it it hurts a lot. Like it really like just hits me in the wrong places because it kind of builds on Asian stereotype a lot, right? Asian stereotype, and I, you know, I'll, I'll say it. It's not a big deal. Like we're known as even in corporate, right? If you think about the overall stereotype, it's we're quiet. We put our heads down to do our work. We don't really like stand up and speak out, like all those things. And you look at these kind of acts that happen and it's just taking advantage of people who I think stereotypically Asians are kind of put that way for probably a right reason. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the, I'll be someone to say that. I think it's, it hits the nail on the head as a general statement, but it's also like, you know, man, like you're picking on old Asian people, like whatever you want to do, you're picking on like people who are not like, you see ones where like people are definitively not from the country. Like for me, it kind of hits on the wrong strings because it's, you know, a lot of uh immigrants in general, I know I don't want to just say Asian people, we get over here to like kind of escape. Is it lack of monetization in your area? Is it lack of opportunity period? Is it you know, is your race holding you back in your country or whatever the scenario is, is your family doesn't have a good name. You're trying to generally escape like what you can't do, right? Like, but then you come here and then things like that happen. It, it's, yeah, it's just mad. They're only to, only to find it happen here. Right. Correct. And like, the other thing is like, I laugh about this with my buddies, but like, I have friends who are like, absolute killers when it comes to like jujitsu and Muay Thai and all these things. And I'm just like, I feel like it's, you know, and I always laugh about, I'm like the day that someone runs into the wrong guy like that, it's going to be really bad. Like it's, you're just going to get absolutely destroyed by the wrong person. Even if that were to happen, that's not the story that gets elevated, right? It's going to be like, Oh, this guy fought back. And it's going to, 
things always get twisted, right? I'm going a little bit in circles because I have a ton of ex- opinions about this, but I think overall, it kind of really saddens me because it shows a lot of ignorance. And ignorance yeah. is like, you know, we're, we're in a world where like information is at your fingertips. So that's kind of weird. Number two is like, it shows that that mentality still exists. And not only for Asians, just in general, there's just broad strokes racism coming out. That's mm-hmm. very just unnerving and give me metro- metropolitan areas, Midwest, you call, you name it, it's there right now. I was just going to say, it's a great point. It's not always in rural areas, right? I mean, you can be inner city somewhere and what you just described is, is happening every single day, right? Yep. And and to what you said there, Chris, you know, the information at your fingertips, right? The the sad part about that, though, right, is false information is at the fingertips as well, too. And that's. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Chris, for sharing your, your thoughts on that. And they're very real, especially during this time. All of those things that a lot of different communities are facing. I'm curious, you know, where are you drawing inspiration from today? You're doing, you know, what you're really good at, but kind of in a in a different area of it. You mentioned video and you mentioned some new things there. Where are you finding inspiration from and, and what are you what are you reading to sort of stay on top of, of the industry? I think for me right now, usually within before the one year mark, I actually try to stay away from reading things outside of kind of what's in, in kind of my current company. Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to stray away to think about the most recent topics that aren't so obvious, like the the cookies discussion or whatever you want to talk like identifiers and mm-hmm. whatever else is like yeah. super obvious. I don't want to dive in to understand what other people are doing to better my practice because as far as I see it, I need to just fully engulf myself into what I do. So that sounds like a very selfish statement, but like I try to concentrate internally on identifying the issues that I see. It's not issues, but I think, you know, there, whatever I can see can alleviate the company from, from the risk factors that we see first before I start doing that. But if I do read anything, I read stuff that's a little bit outside of uh, the industry. So I'll, I'll read the information because it gives a little bit of an outside perspective, more from like a, kind of like a New York Times written for, right? Like the, the everyday person, but for tech. So it's not so deep as to going into the super technical RevOps discussions, but it's talking about mm-hmm. why the companies will succeed and where they see the perspective of tech going and things of that nature. So I'll just use that to at least stay within arm's length of what we're doing. But right now I'm in the mode of I've, I've weirdly unsubscribed from all those trades that we usually read through where I actually need to start reactivating them because the one year marks uh, coming right up right now. So yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, uh, what advice would you give to anyone that is trying to enter our industry right now? I think the one thing that people need to be prepared for is that it's kind of cliche, but like the industry is super scrappy still, right? Like everyone's like, oh, it's innovative, it's changing, it's tech savvy and all that. But like when you go through cycles of change as quickly as we do, it doesn't matter yeah. how tech savvy you are. Because you could build the best bones possible, but those bones are not the proper bones three years later, right? Like, right. Right. you have to be ready to pivot so quickly and be relatively uncomfortable, like most of the times, because you will mm-hmm. be asked questions that you don't have the answers to directly, but we'll have to just stick to your guns and just give the best one that you can, right? And then just fail forward, right? Like, if you made the right decision, then do better and then iterate on that. If you made the wrong one, get to the right one. 
but you know, continue to iterate and make sure that you get there. So don't be afraid of errors when you're here. And then even if you do make a quote unquote mistake, even though I don't think there's many of those you can make here, like just make sure that you have like a next step when you're thinking about it, right? Like right. what did you learn? Why did you do it? And what are we not going to do again? And how does that change the future decision making process of kind of what we do? Because everyone respects people who make mistakes and make them better. No one's going to get it all right. And that's super cliche, but I, I truly am a believer of that right now. Love it. Yeah, love it. Love it. All right. Fun question. I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast, which is give me the top three apps that you use regularly on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so top three ones that I use right now. I deleted all my social, so I can't name any of those right now. Uh, I, I'm very heavy into Google Photos right now. I really like the yearly reminders of like, here's what you did last year. Hmm. Um, because it reminds me how, again, I'm super centered around the family lately. And I'm just like, oh my God, this day was great. Or like, oh, this was a pain in the ass day last year. But like, it's all tends to be good memories. <laughs> and like, it's hard to move on and accept and digest things if you don't remember what happened in the past. Right. Um, but you asked a quick question, so let me get through it quickly. I also read through the information like uh, like at least once a week, so I, I'm on that app. And then my last one, <laughs> I've been using Clubhouse here and there just to check out what that's about because apparently that's the new, newest and biggest thing. Yep. But I'm not really sure what it's about right now because it's like <laughs> it's like Hanging out with really open groups of people, but having someone who's like moderating it. I was like, are you hanging out? Are you running business? Are you learning? It's, it's okay like a, it's like a 24 seven conference with every <laughs> subject under the sun. That's how I look at it. That's right. That's right. There we go. Yeah. And I'm just That's like, awesome. what do I do with this right now? You know, it's like, um, <laughs> But there's a lot of people on it. Yeah. And I'm like, I should figure yeah. it out. So if you guys can tell me how to use it better, let me know. But that's that's the work in progress app right now. That's great. Christopher Park, thanks for hanging out with us. We're excited that you joined us. And a lot of our listeners like to stay in touch. What are some ways that they can find you or follow you? Oh, wow. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> I don't even go. know what my LinkedIn thing is. Uh, um, they can find I'm, you on LinkedIn. There we go. Yeah, I'm all over. I'm all over LinkedIn. I'm there and present. So definitely find me. I'm one of a f many f Chris Parks. So good luck. And Clubhouse too, it sounds like. So, <laughs> um, yeah, interesting story is that me and this one Chris Park would always end up on each other's uh, very highly ranked on the one side, on the right rail. And then I was like, oh man, me and this guy are just like, they're just trying to look to see if this is. This is the guy for either one. So uh, good luck finding me. <laughs> but uh, I'm the Chris Park at Twitch. Well, thanks for hanging. I think that's one. So yeah. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks. Thanks.